Hey, welcome back to Revive School. This is Lesson 46. My name is Kyle Felke. I'm a pastor in Valparaiso, Indiana. And uh, we're going to be starting off in 2 Samuel today. Um, we've been talking through 2 Samuel. Kyle uh, shared already in first uh, chapter 1 and 2. And then uh, we, we just got to experience something phenomenal with Wesley talking about uh, 3 and 4. Um, and I'm going to be covering 5 and 6. And so I want to start in 2 Samuel 5. Uh, and kind of give a little bit of backdrop before we enter into six. Um, and so if, uh, if you get an opportunity um, to, to read through and just soak through what's going on in, in chapter five, um, I, I want you to see how it's leading up to this moment in six. But um, Kyle talked about how um, Jerusalem was actually a really critical and it is a key place uh, that David establishes. And so I, 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 as we get into that place, uh, I want you to see what happens with David. So um, actually, if you'll do me a favor, uh, will you go to um, first, it's first Samuel um, chapter 16, uh, verses 12 and 13. So David, remember, he was, a, he was actually a shepherd boy and uh, he's out in the, in, the, in the fields and he's tending his sheep. Um, Samuel has come to uh, David's father, Jesse, and he's about to anoint a son, but he can't find who the son is. And so um, he goes through all six of, of Jesse's sons, and he's still not hearing from the Holy Spirit that this is the one who you're supposed to anoint. And so he asks the question, uh, you know, is this your only sons? And, and Jesse says, well, I got one more, but he's out in the field. And, uh, and so what, what um, Samuel says is he says, I want you to bring him in. And so as he comes in in verse 12 of chapter 16, 1 Samuel, it says, so, when he, uh, so he sent and he brought him in. Uh, now he was Ruby, Rudy and, uh, with bright eyes and handsome in appearance. And the Lord said to him, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Verse 13, and then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and he went to Ram. And we learned earlier, there was a map here um, that talked about the two different kingdoms. If you can jump to that map real quick. Ziglag is the place where David uh, had been given land from the Philistines. And so he's, he's occupying this area. Um, and then when you move on to that second map where it has the two, the two here. So Ziglag is the area, and, and this whole area of Judah is actually now where, where David uh, is going to start to be established as, as king and uh, first part of 2 Samuel. And so here's what happens in chapter 5. And then the tribe of Israel came to David at Hebron, and he said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, you will, you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over them or over Israel. What's really interesting is that um, the Lord has spoken to David about here's what you've been doing. You've actually been shepherding sheep, but I actually have a call for you to shepherd people. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, they start to see what, what this pedigree basically 
that um, David has been walking through, how he, even under Saul's leadership, has been um, tending to the people of Israel. And so it says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron and King David, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And they anointed David king over Israel. I think this is just really interesting. Uh, if I go back to verse 1 and 2, um, and I see the, um, the correlation between Jesus and David. Um, in verse 1 it says, We are your bone and your flesh. And David, um, being the anointed one, as we talked about in 1 Samuel, um, he correlates uh, how Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus becomes bone and flesh with us. He becomes just like us. And I uh, also see this really interesting parallel of how um, Saul was the first king. Um, you know, we have Adam being the first Adam. Uh, but David becomes the second king, and Jesus becomes, becomes the second Adam. And so you have, you have Adam being the first king, and Jesus becomes the second king. So they're saying this thing of like, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and we recognize uh, what you've done here. And we, we want to actually honor what God has said, that he's called you a shepherd. And now they, they start to anoint him. And so um, he says he makes a covenant um, David makes a covenant with them at Hebron. They anoint him king over Israel. And then, uh, and then David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. I just think it's interesting um, that Jesus also is, is 30 years old uh, when he starts his ministry. And what you have happen here in the rest of five is that um, David makes his first act as, as the king that's been honored um, by, by both the north and the south. And what he does is he actually starts to take over Jerusalem. Um, so, Kevin, I just want to ask you a question. Um, at this time, who's, who's over Jerusalem? Uh, the Jebusites. Yeah, so what do you know about the Jebusites? What do we know about the Jebusites? Uh, they didn't take care of them earlier, so they just keep showing back up. The, obviously, the Israelites are supposed to take care of them earlier. And, and since they didn't take care of them earlier, during this time um, of Joshua Judges, this whole process that they're, they're supposed to be clearing the land, um, you have these Jebusites who are occupying Jerusalem. And so David actually comes in and he says, this is my first uh, order of business as king over. This was actually a really strategic move uh, for David. And here's the reason why it's such a strategic move for David, because David had been occupying the southern part of Israel. And when he establishes um, Jerusalem, or he starts to establish Jerusalem as the capital, he's actually creating an alliance between these two divided nations. And in doing so, even though it's in the southern part, he's actually trying to bring uh, a unity together. And so he goes after this fight. And these Jebusites, uh, they're, they're pretty haughty, and they're, they, they think that they've got things on lockdown in, in Jerusalem, right? What, what, what is their strategic move? Uh, towards towards David, they said that we're gonna the blind and lame could even turn you away, so you're not even. Yeah, so essentially, what they're saying is, listen, we have this city so fortified that we can actually put blind and lame uh, to fight on our behalf because you're not getting in. Like, there's no way you're gonna conquer this place. Well, sure enough, um, they actually do pass through. Um, they pass through this watershed area. Uh, and they come in and they overthrow um, through the tunnel uh, and, and they overthrow the blind and lame. And, and basically, they utterly destroy the Jebusites. Um, 
the, the Jebusites, uh, some of them flee, and David takes over this place, and he starts to establish this as his home. Okay, so uh, at the same time you're hearing this, this is the first battle that David is going after in First Sam or in Second Samuel. So since his last fight uh, with the Amalekites, this is his his first battle um, in in this position. The next thing you have happen is the Philistines who had rejected him come at him, and they're trying to take him out. Uh, I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time in the rest of five, but what we learn is that the Lord says, "Go ahead and pursue them and uh, and fight against them." So in chapter six, here's where we're gonna here's where we're gonna dive in a little bit. So in chapter six, uh, verse one, it says, "Now David again gathered the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand, and it says, and David rose and he went with all the people who were um, who were with him at Baal Judah to bring up from the ark, uh, bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim." So here you have David, he, he has established Jerusalem in chapter 5 as the place where he's going he's gonna to create uh, his kingdom and the, the capital. And the next order of business is he says, listen, we got to go get the, the ark. It's been a while. Uh, and if you actually go to um, 1 Samuel 6 and 7, uh, but I'm just going to read this really quickly. In, in verse 3, it says, they placed the ark of God uh, on the cart, uh, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. First Samuel six is really intriguing because First Samuel six is where the Philistines have actually um, they had taken possession of the ark, and they started to experience an outbreak of of disease basically because they had possession of the ark. So in chapter uh, six of First Samuel six. Um, Verse 7, you actually see this interesting thing happen. It says that um, they're experiencing all these tumors, and they seek, what are they supposed to do? And this was, this was actually their wisdom. It says, Now therefore take and prepare a new ark, and two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows on a cart, and take their calves home away from them. So here's what's what's going on is that they create this idea of let's see if this is God's doing that's destroying us through these tumors and whatnot by putting a, the ark on a cart and put it, putting uh, a yoke on these cows that are actually not created uh, to pull anything. So so these are these these cows are, are starting to walk out um, carrying the cart of the ark of the covenant and they're waiting to see, is the ark going to actually fall because it's, it's, not, uh, it's not stable? These cows are going to go crazy and it's going to cause the, the cart to disrupt. So they already have this in mind. What happens is, is that as the ark moves in, Israel sees it, they rejoice, and, uh, and they actually look in and it says that 50,770 men uh, die. And so in that time, what they do is in, in chapter 7, um, they actually leave the Ark of the Covenant at this man uh, Abinadab's home. And it stays there uh, throughout actually all of Saul's reign. And so if we hop back to Second Samuel 6, uh, we see that they're grabbing the Ark from Abinadab. They have history of knowing that the Ark was placed on a cart. And so they get the great idea without consulting the Lord of we'll just do the same thing. 
And so they put the ark on a cart. These cows start to take it. Actually, not cows, but um, ox are taking it forward. And as the ox are leading the cart, um, we get to where the ark starts to shake, which it didn't shake with the Philistines, but it starts to shake under the hands of the Israelites. And in verse 6, it says that Uzzah reaches out his hand towards the ark of God, and he took hold of it, and the ox, because then the ox nearly upset it. Verse 7, the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there uh, for his irreverence, and he died there by the, ar- by the ark of God. I think it's really interesting that um, the Philistines had to have touched the ark, but we don't hear of people dying because of them touching the ark. But under Israel's um, law, they were, they were supposed to deal with the ark in reverence. And in him even just reaching out his hand to protect the ark, um, he dies. But it goes a little deeper because what they did not do is they didn't handle the ark properly. And so you actually see in verse 5, David's cheering, he's going crazy, he's excited, right? He's, there's, there's songs, there's, there's tambourines, there's all this stuff. Uzzah reaches out his hand and he drops dead. And all of a sudden, David goes, what in the world? And, and this is what's really interesting is that it says that David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. Now, there's a lot of potential reasons why he's angry. But I see David actually going, this is one of my loved men. Like, are you kidding me? Here we are trying to, trying to bring the Ark of the Presence back into uh, our possession and, and here a man dies. And so they put the thing on pause and they actually take it to the house of Obed-Edom. And they leave it at Obed-Edom's house. And I, I think that it was just one of those moments of like, dude, we got we to gotta recollect ourselves. And I know that some of you have been in seasons where things are going great. And then all of a sudden, like, it feels like the other shoe drops and you just go, what? Did, were we not here in the Lord? Like, how, how in the world did this take place? Um, what David wasn't doing here and what the men weren't doing is they weren't living by the word. And what we see is that God actually had uh, in plan and in place how you were supposed to interact with the Ark of the Covenant. And so David actually stops and he halts and he says, okay, we got to leave it at Obed-Edom's house and we got to take a break. During this time period, um, you're actually seeing that Obed-Edom's whole house begins to flourish. Uh, if you go to verse 10, It says, And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Verse 11, Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. This is really interesting to me um, because I think that sometimes we neglect to see that when when the presence of God rests in your midst, things start to change. Um, You know, we can't do anything aside from the presence of God. I think it's also interesting that sometimes we don't recognize um, where there is. Some would say that Obed-Edom was flourishing by fertility, like his family was growing, and that it was one of the signs of the presence of God being there. Um, In my personal life, I've actually had to ask questions uh, when I'm not seeing fruit coming from my life, um, am, I, am I honoring the presence of God? 
Or is it somewhere else? And I actually need to go back and I need to uh, seek the presence above all else. I think that's actually what David's doing. And David having a heart for the Lord, um, he, he heard what, what begins to happen in Obed-Edom's uh, family. And, and it, like, it triggers something for him. He's like, we, we got to go because it is the presence that brings fruit to our lives. And so in verse 12, it says, Now it was told to David, told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. <laughs> I think it's just amazing. It's like they put, they give credit exactly to the time of the ark. Um, I, I want you to consider things in your life where you, where you begin to see the presence of God as your main focus and, and the thing that you have to rest on your life. Uh, see, begin to track from that point forward where, where fruit begins to, to lie. Uh, because it's not only a track record for yourself, but it's also a track record for other people because they're going to ask you at some point in time, maybe three months down the road, what in the world happened to you? And when you say, my heart changed and I began to honor and value the presence, something changed in my life. You have a, a marker. You have a pinpoint to actually say when things changed. So what happens is, is David sees what's happening in Obed-Edom's life. And he says, we got to go back and we got to get the Ark of the Presence. So David went and he brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of, of David with gladness. Um, you know, in First Chronicles you actually see that he starts to speak to them and he starts to create this whole, you'll get into it a little later, he creates this whole list of how to actually uh, shift perspective. And he knew that it was actually supposed to be that the Ark of the, of the Presence, Ark of the Lord, was to, to rest on the weight of the Levites. So let's go to the next verse here. Uh, chapter 6, verse 13. And it was so, when the bearers of the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a, fat, and a fatling. Some would actually say here, just for a moment, that the six paces was, was like uh, the creation, uh, that God worked for six days and on the seventh he rested, and so they would walk six paces and then they would rest. They would walk six paces and then they would rest. But in this case, they would walk six paces and they would sacrifice, giving thanks to the Lord. So verse 13 or verse 14, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. I think this is, is beautiful. Again, you start to see David uh, take on this posture, not only of king, but also wearing the royal priest garments. And, uh, and so as we move on to, to verse 14, 15, it says, and so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark and were shouting with sounds of trumpets. And then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she was displeased in her heart. I love the presence of God. I think that um, sometimes we don't uh, rejoice and get as excited because we think that it's actually uh, not our, our temperament. But I think that in the, in the recognition of how amazing God is, we find ourselves just being able to let go. And maybe that's in your own personal home. But sometimes I actually wonder if we don't let ourselves go more because we're afraid of what other people are thinking. And, uh, and, and in this passage, I actually see Michael putting such, such a... Uh, it, I see Michael giving her opinion so much that it could have swayed David's response and reaction but he's like, you, you, you realize that what's in my heart is from the Lord, and I cannot not worship the Lord uh, unab- 
un, unashamed and uh, fully abandoned to his presence. And so it says in verse 17, So they brought the ark of the Lord, and he set it in his place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Uh, I just want to stop here and, and say what one of the things that I think is really amazing about the burnt offering, the, the peace offering, is that the burnt offering, if you learn a little bit about the burnt offering, the burnt offering was the whole offering also. Um, so as we know from Leviticus, that the whole offering, uh, the only part that was saved was the, was the what? The skin, right? The skin, and it was given to the Levites. You know, it says to put off your old self, and to put on the new self uh, in, in the New Testament. And I, I can't remember the exact verse right now. Um, but I think that it is really interesting because God calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this whole idea of the burnt offering or the whole offering, the only thing that was left was the skin. It's almost this reminder that, that Jesus gave his whole self and he actually gives us his skin so that we can walk in his skin. And so the Levites were to take the whole offering, the skin of the whole offering, but everything else was honored up to the Lord. But this thing of the peace offering, um, I actually thought that the peace offering was is my peace to God, like I'm trying to bring peace to God. The peace offering is actually more about recognizing God's peace towards me. And so when you see David say, we're going to do a burnt offering and we're going to do a peace offering, he's saying, you're getting a new garment, Levites, and also the peace offering is recognition of what God has done through, through his presence, uh, through the sacrifice of, of giving himself to the people, that there is peace from God towards man. And, and in the presence of this offering is where the people are supposed to eat it. They're not supposed to, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, they're supposed to eat it there, not uh, take it home. They're actually supposed to do it publicly. And so everyone gets the share of the peace offering if you're an Israelite or you're an outsider. And I think it's just so beautiful because it's a beautiful picture of, of the sacrifice of Jesus. He's saying, this is my peace from the Lord to mankind and everyone gets to experience it. It's not just for a select few, but everyone gets to experience it. And so what David does here is he establishes this burnt offering and peace offering. And I do think that it's also interesting that there's not an offering of sin or a guilt offering in this whole passage, in the whole part of the tabernacle of David, as some would call it. There isn't a sin offering or a guilt offering, but it's a recognition of God's peace towards mankind and him providing and us giving himself and him clothing us with a whole new nature. So, uh, Verse 18, it says, And when David had finished the, uh, the offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitudes of Israel, both men and women, cake and bread and dates and raisins to each one. And then all the people departed, each to his house. And so I think it's awesome that, that David, being a king, he honors families and he says, no, go home and bless your families because I got to do the same thing. And so he turns around and he goes towards his family. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. But when David returned to bless his household, it's, it's, it's wild how Michael, the daughter of Saul, is mentioned here. It's not just Michael. It's Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the servants, maids, 
as one of the foolish ones shamelessly un- uncovers himself, she comes out and she basically just tears him apart. Like she's like, you, you just made a fool of yourself and, and you did it thinking that you were, you were all haughty and whatnot, but you're the king. Like how could you, how could you look so foolish? I think that sometimes people try and put the label on us. They elevate that label and they try and keep us from actually walking uh, in, in full freedom that the presence of God and the sacrifice of Jesus should give us the ability, like, you have to tamper things down. Do you know who you are? Do you know the position that you hold? Um, I I just want to encourage you, that's not from the Lord. Uh, I want to encourage you, do not let any title or any label uh, from man try and push you into a box of, of trying to keep your cool because you're supposed to be a free worshiping person. You're supposed to let who you are and this love that you have for Jesus, the love that you have for the Father and the hunger that you have for the Spirit of God to, to just be let out loose, regardless of whether it's in a building or it's out in public. Uh, I just want to encourage you, don't let the fear of man um, try and place you into a box by using titles. And so the next thing that happens is David responds. And so David says to Michael, it was the Lord. It was before the Lord who had chose me above your father and above all of, all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I celebrate before the Lord. At this moment, I'm just going, I'm, I'm seeing David's people going, oh, shots fired. Like, did he just say that? He just called out his, his wife's father. Like, he just said, you got to be kidding me. Like, you realize that it was God that chose me over your dad. <laughs> I mean, as you're, as you're listening to that and you're thinking, like, how, how real is he now getting? Like, he's just getting raw and he's like, I've had it with you and your family. <laughs> I'm done. Like, the, the very fact that you would try and suppress this thing that is actually in my heart. I'm a man of God's heart. Like, I am a worshiper. That you would try and suppress me, I'm done with you. And so from that point forward, it says, I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of him who has spoken with them, I will be distinguished. I will be more undignified than this. I will go more crazy. You don't understand. You cannot push me down. You can't put me in a box. I'm going to worship like crazy. And so then it says in verse 23, And Michael and the daughter of Saul had no children to that day of her death. We could assume why she didn't have any children from that day forward. Uh, I don't want to make speculation, but I could see that the resentment in her heart probably put some distance between David and her from that day forward. But in all that being said, you know, we talk about David, a man after God's own heart. We talk about how um, the eternal throne. I want to paint this picture. David establishes a place in Jerusalem to be the, the capital. And then he says, and above all else, I want God to be the king over all of Israel. And so I need to bring the Ark of the Presence into Jerusalem. I need for it to be the place where we worship. And I must have him ruling over me. And so that's why we call God King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because we see that David honored the presence and he put that above everything else and he set it in a place so that all could benefit. And, uh, and this whole thing of the eternal throne, I just want to say a couple more things. It's really intriguing to me that they put the ark on a cart, but when they came back after the whole death thing, 
They put the ark on the shoulder of the Levites. If you think about it, we call this Second uh, Samuel the eternal throne. It says in uh, Isaiah that um, the, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. As they're carrying the ark, the, the ark is resting on the shoulder of the Levites. We hear about how um, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This whole thing of the ark, God's presence should be resting on us and causing us to be able to be elevated from that place. And I really believe that, that the whole posture of them putting the ark on their, on their shoulders is actually a foreshadow of Jesus carrying the, the presence of God, not only on our, sh- on our sh- shoulders, but to elevate us moving forward so that we walk in that governmental authority. So I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope that you gleaned some things from it. Um, I hope that you enjoy the rest of, of 2 Samuel. And, uh, and I just bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.